Sofgren. Speaking the truth to the state capitol, this is Drive Time Lincoln with the commander, Jack Riggins, on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Oh, we're live, I think, April 21st. <laughs> Drive Time Lincoln. Jack Riggins, I am the host. I'm still here. Caleb I. Henry. I don't know why I love to say that now, Caleb, because I think, where did I get that? That is on your Twitter handle, is well, it Well, here's not? the thing. You're saying it wrong. Oh, no. It's I, it's I, Caleb Henry. So I did it like okay. the like iPhones, iPads, whatever. Okay. There, believe it or Thank not, there are the multiple correction. Caleb Henrys out there. Uh-huh. It's a pretty simple <laughs> two first names combination. Yeah. Okay. I, Caleb Henry. There I knew go. there was an I in there somewhere, and you did it really well. Well, the first the time you said it, I, I was like, that's a weird way to spell Garrett, but okay. <laughs> Well, well, what's so funny is uh, the I, the lowercase I, is always stuck out in my uh, my head when mm-hmm. I see your social media posts. And then you're right. I think I officially said it on air last time here on Monday. <laughs> and uh, thank you for the correction. Yeah, I, Caleb Henry, there we go. is producing the show. <laughs> uh, we've also got Matty. <laughs> Matty. Whoa, we're starting the day off good. Matt Schulte. <laughs> Uh, running for uh, county commissioner, county board. Uh, third appearance. Um, Going to be half the show. He's got to run off to an event in Hickman, um, which is some form of a debate against his opponents, but not all of his opponents. Uh, but I think you're pretty familiar with Matt. And, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to let him talk about... Uh, some things in his platform and how the campaign's been going. And uh, I've already warned him that I've got some secret special questions because <laughs> if you're going to come on the show three times in the race, I've got to start. Uh, I've got to start digging in a little bit. But first, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'd gladly answer your secret questions oh, that you're going to pull out. Yeah, I mean, you know, just try to get to the just try to get the facts out there and get yeah. thoughts from different candidates. Um, I know, though, uh, off air and, and before you get going, uh, we talked and, and you share a unique perspective, like I think even I, Caleb, and I, Jack Riggins, uh, do, which is um, watching, we watch and observe and make comment on the state of politics, Yeah, but you're also, you do the same as a citizen, but you're also in it, mm-hmm. and I find that topic fascinating right now, Yes, <laughs> in this state in particular. Well, I think it's true of probably any state that's coming up on a primary nationwide, but it is unique in Nebraska right now because we are... 19 days from the election, so it's coming up pretty close. But, man, is one of the things I just continue to hear as I knock on doors and I made a bunch of calls yesterday and things like that is people are, people are pretty fed up with the negative campaigning. I mean, you, you see some of this slandering happen. You see some political attack ads happening, and people are sick of it. Yet campaigns keep pouring money into it. Clearly, it must be effective. Otherwise, they wouldn't they wouldn't be doing it. Well, I think to some degree it is effective. But I will say that when the quote unquote story started coming out about dark money and and that was referencing specifically the gubernatorial race uh, primary, um, I watched a few. I started noticing it. But most of my listeners and most of the people that would text in that I would converse with within that first week were already like. What the, yeah. I mean, just reactions were like, come on, people. And, and, but it's continued on. 
Yeah. And so I think there is a real sentiment out there of one, hey, we get it. And we don't want that here. Yeah. And I think that's true. I mean, we, I think we would, if you and I had talked about this nine months ago, six months ago, we would have said, yeah, we expect that to happen in a governor's race. We expect that to happen in a senator's race. Um, but I did not expect that to happen in a county commissioner's race. You know, <laughs> a real down ballot. Um, oh, that's kind of an inside baseball term to say down ballot. So down ballot means kind of when you're looking at your ballot, things at the federal's at the top, and you, the more locally you get at the bottom. So the down ballot races generally don't see that happening. And uh, I opened my mailbox uh, about a week ago and popped it open, and there was an ad saying Matt Schulte is laughable, desperate, and dishonest. You know, it, it, so I was not expecting that. I think, like I said, we expect that sort of thing to happen at the state level, at the federal level. Um, but I definitely did not expect an ad from my opponent, you know, calling me names. Well, and I think at this point it's fair to say because I, too, uh, you have two opponents in this primary. Because yeah. obviously I've been interviewing everybody, giving everybody time on air. And, and in your race in particular, folks have come in. Um, I, I'm fair to say that I received a mail from Deb Shore uh, that called you a liar. <laughs> um, and I, I, I was a little bit shocked when I pulled it up and, and it, to make it more simple on Matt Schulte's point about down ballots is what he's referring to folks is, listen, we all should understand who the governor candidates are, right? There's a lot of money there. And as you go down in races, you're not generally going to see as much money involved and therefore media exposure so that, you know, people say out West know who Matt Schulte is, so to speak, or Deb Shore or Travis filings in your yep. race. And so you generally don't see the uh, depth of political insanity, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> that you sometimes see in the national race or, or the governor's race. Yeah, that's absolutely. And I, and I would say like, okay, I think there's a significant difference too. Like, I feel like take attacking someone's policy positions or someone's history to show the difference. I think that's fair game. Some people don't think that's fair game, but I think that's fair game. If you want to say this is what someone did or this is what someone believes, I think that's totally fair game because in a primary, what you're trying to do is you're trying to, the party is trying to elect people who will represent their platform. And so attacking someone's, or maybe not even attacking, but showing the differences between somebody and their differences from the party platform, I think, is a 100% fair game. I think where people get most frustrated, at least where I get most frustrated, is when it becomes about just taking someone down to take down their character. Mm -hmm. You know, something that e either is not factual or you're not presenting where the facts are, and it's just about attacking someone's character. In my mind, that kind of slander is a total total difference when you're just trying to harm someone's reputation well i think yes when you can look at the facts a voting record or a decision somebody made um while in office that's okay to go ahead and talk about you're talking about when it goes personal l let me address it right now because I, I don't even know what it is but you're the candidate and you would know um <laughs> she straight out said you were a liar and dishonest on yeah. what subjects was she referencing she doesn't in that ad it does not say um, so all I'm left to do is guess. And as far as I know, the only things I've ever done is point out some record differences here on the radio. 
um, there was a political action committee that sent out something. It wasn't related to my campaign, so I can't imagine that was trying to be, I mean, maybe they're trying to connect that to me, but I've pointed out some record differences, and that's about as the best I can come up with, is that that's what I supposedly am being dishonest about. Sure. Um, yeah, and I think when I think of uh, the race you're in in particular, again, having all three candidates, some of the things that uh, come up as differences and for, in the case of Deb Shore, the incumbent, because she has a voting record there in that job, yeah. um, the uh, the Zuckerbucks was a big one. And a lot of people talked about that as it relates to election integrity and, you know, allowing many more ballot drop boxes in the city. Um, the other one has been energy or windmills and and being part of, of a city um or a county commission and, and what they did there. Uh, there may be some others with the budget that I'm just forgetting, but you know, some of those, a lot of the listeners co- have come back at me and said, Oh, you know, I'm glad that's been talked about. The other thing that has come up significantly, and it ended up actually even in the, a local newspaper recently was a dis some Planned Parenthood. Um, there was uh, a proposal that she brought forward from a committee to fund Planned Parenthood. It did not get funded. Thankfully, it did not get funded, but I have honestly said she proposed it, and that's true. Um, and I think that's another one that has has lit, lit some fire in people because pro-life issues are very emotional to a lot of people, and I think rightfully so. Um, they're based in the faith of many. They're based in the science of many, and so and it and it's life, and so it really becomes an emotional thing for people. And so that's that's another one I would add to that list. And I, I would tend to guess that that was one of the issues as well, because it's specifically referenced on the card um, as well. So pro life issues is would be another one I'd throw in there. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I've got to ask you this. Um, I have. I'm. I. I don't have the term yet for this show, and I think it's because. I live in Lincoln. I care about the politics in this town and, and in my case, getting some balance so that represents all Lincolnites. Um, but some of my brothers and sisters up in Omaha really are using this term a lot, which is uh, established Republicans in the state uh, versus, you know, grassroots and stuff. Um, some of your opponents have always called you and, and tell me, well, he's just another establishment Republican. <laughs> And my question would be, um, how are you different from an establishment Republican or someone that has been in office a long time? And they point to the fact that you were on city council and you've run before and you're active in politics. Yeah. How would you how would you respond to if elected how you're going to work for the people? That's a great question. So, first of all, I, I I've heard that term a lot. Establishment versus kind of the we the people is kind of another way that people talk about it. I tend to think that when someone's talking about establishment, they're talking about somebody who is stuck in a place and is not willing to make any moves or advances in response to what's currently happening in the Republican Party. They're established and they're not moving. Um, and so I would tend to say I am not an establishment person, uh, but I have relationships with a lot of those establishment people because I have been involved for a long time. I've been around more than a minute. I've been, you know, I was on the school board until four years ago for a term. Um, and so I do know a lot of people, but in general, people are using that term establishment a little bit as a slanderous term to say they're stuck in their ways. They're not making any changes. They're not moving or adjusting to the current political environment. So I don't see myself as that because I see myself as being activated by the current political environment. I look around at what's going on at some of the election issues. 
Um, some of the Zuckerbucks thing, like you mentioned, um, that's been something that four years ago, I would have never said, nobody would have said, oh, I'm pro-election security, because that wasn't even a thing four years ago. Yeah. And I have made that adjustment and realized our our republic is under attack from the inside at some level. And part of that inside game is this uh, election integrity things. And so I have absolutely made that change to adjust to the current times and say, I am pro-election integrity and I'm pro-voter ID as well. So those, those are, that's how, that's how I would sort of distinguish, um, understand what establishment means and point out how I have been involved, but I'm also making adjustments. And what I've heard you say is that party platforms change and adjust. Election integrity was a good example. Like nobody talked about it years ago and all of a sudden that's becoming an issue that people need to focus on, especially people in politics or running. And so after you get the facts, you're looking at the party values to represent those opposed to stuck in thought, so to speak, or, or say, uh, I believe it's this way. So by God, we're going this way. Yeah. You know, and I think there is, I think one of the negatives that has happened is that with a kind of a, we, the people movement, this new uprising of Republicans is that unfortunately they have, some of them have intentionally or unintentionally left out some of the, the experience and have disregarded people simply because they have experience. And I think that's one of the things that's, that is detrimental to the Republican Party and and potentially the Democratic well, Party. As well, speaking of that, I would agree, and and I've 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 alluded to that on the show. I I actually believe, like a lot of things, there's some communication differences, uh, deficiencies on both sides that, when worked, can come together. But at this moment in time, and it certainly is playing out a little bit on the governor scale. Um, there is some. Um, I don't want to say infighting. There's just communication deficiencies that are keeping everybody on the conservative side from my optic of coming together. Yeah. And that speaking of that, how will you, because you know that as well, you just said it, how will you work to, on the conservative side, bring that together? And then more importantly, how will you work across the aisle to try to, you know, represent conservative values? So I feel like I am in a unique position to bring some of that history and some of that knowledge along with me. Um, on the conservative side of things, I, I do have that experience. I do have some of those connections. I do have a lot of respect for people that have been around a while. But at the same time, I really am activated and um, passionate about what's going on in the current environment. In my ex- when I get elected to the county board of commissioners, I when I was on the school board, I had to work across the aisle. I was, you know, very much so the only conservative on the board. There was a couple other Republicans, which I liked working with, but there was some conservative issues that were really important to me. And so I really had to work across the aisle a lot. And I, I enjoyed it. It was hard, but I enjoyed it. And so I look forward to doing that on the county board as well. All right. My, my one last secret question for you. If you okay. Um, all right. You get elected to the county board. I think at this point, uh, from a voting standpoint, people, if you haven't figured it out, it's very democratically leaning. Um, and while you're the lone conservative on there and, and you've worked hard, um, you're going to be outvoted on some issues. Yep. Um, can, can I expect you to be transparent in why you're voting for something if it happens to look against conservative values <laughs> Or if you disagree completely with the way the, the vote is going, to either come on this show or be very public with transparency to say why 
you know, you're for or against a particular vote. Hey, I would ab- is, I've been here a lot. I will show up a lot. I would absolutely answer your questions. There will be times when you're on the board, especially you've got an idea and an opportunity, opposite idea, and you got to find a way to mesh them together. And if you can make some movement to gain common ground, then I do think as an official, if you've made the movement to make common ground, voting for something that may not be 100% Republican might make sense, right? Mm -hmm. But I do expect, like I did when I was on the school board, there were several times when I would see something on the agenda and I would say, here's the reason why I'm voting no, and I'd state it publicly and then vote no. And I think that's an appropriate response as well. Uh, Matt Schulte, once again, where can people find you uh, out there on social media and stuff like that? Yes, I'm Matt Schulte. I'm running for the Lancaster County Board of Commissioners. You can find me on my website, votesholte.com. You can also search for Vote Schulte on Facebook and hit, hit me with a message. I respond directly and as quickly as I can. Matt Schulte, thanks for coming on Drive Time Lincoln. My pleasure. Across anything that gets in your way, call the traffic hotline 402-479-1414. That's another check of your time saver traffic. You're getting the 411 from DTL with Commander Jack Riggins on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, folks. Uh, we're back. Quick two minutes here. Uh, Matt Schulte was in uh, running for uh, county commissioner. Headed down to Hickman for an event uh, where they're, well, they're all going to be there uh, talking about their issues. And, uh, yeah, enjoyed that. Uh, Matt has been on the show a lot, and uh, I guess uh, if you're going to be a multiple returner, we're going to start getting into questions that I want to ask, opposed to you just being the candidate, nah. get, getting to say what you want to say. Well, it's the, it's the more time you have to talk with somebody. That's one of the yeah. things that, that uh, obviously here, a lot of the folks that you talk to, you have them on for the whole hour. Yeah. Um, we miss that in the morning, because our segments are so quick and go, and then sometimes you only get about 10 minutes. Um, but Jack Mitchell, from the morning, he's got the Jack Mitchell podcast. His latest episode is out now with Elkant Walgamon. Oh, cool. Um, so you can find that on Apple Podcasts. You can just go to our website as well, KLIN.com. It's on our app. But um, he's able to sit down with people for an hour. And hold longer, deeper yeah. conversations. Yeah, and I think that's you know interesting because I've made some comments about uh, I'll call it show programming a little bit between the two shows. Mm-hmm. Why? Because listeners and a lot of people have have chimed in, and and even in an hour, folks, which which breaks down really about forty minutes of airtime. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just trying to get two or three ones that aren't kind of part of the script, and you have to understand. Um, again, as Caleb said, I mean these are small ten, ten minute segments, and Part of the deal, right, is it's a give and take because people that come on the shows, we want to make sure the public gets informed by, you know, what that person, no matter what they are, are doing, and, and we get some questions. And so longer form, it's much easier. And so, yeah, I think that puts Matt Schulte at at least airtime about an hour and a half on this show. So fair enough, I guess, also as we continue to move forward. But I will say this. You also have to remember, I've told every candidate. Come on in and talk about your platform and talk to the people. And that's fair. You know, i got to be fair to everybody. All right, 1499 3 KLIN. Jack on the voice of Lincoln, 1499 3 KLIN. All right, we're back. Second segment here. Uh, hey, we will open the call lines. Uh, why? Because... Uh, Yesterday, and as we go through this political thing, you know, we've been uh, getting to half shows with political candidates, which is fine and gives us some time to cover some news. And it'll be a half show tomorrow. And it will be a half show tomorrow. We're going to talk some 
antitrust laws that are bad for Nebraska businesses and uh, businesses in general and small businesses out of Washington have an expert in on that. Um, and it will be a half show tomorrow. Uh, okay. I have wanted to talk. So anyway, the, here we go. Rick Stein recognition hotlines open 402-479-1400. Um, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while and, um, it, it's certainly a national, international story, and it's the sinking of uh, the Russian flagship, the Moskov, Moskva, Moskva. Now go ahead and hammer me if my Russian's no good. <laughs> um, okay, be that as it may, it is more likely than not that's the intelligence background in me talking because nothing's ever a hundred percent that it was sunk by uh, Ukrainian uh, surface-to-ship missiles. And that is a huge deal uh, for a very modern warship. As a matter of fact, several naval officers have talked to me and said, when is the last time a a modern warship uh, sunk? And uh, and it happened. And it's interesting because there's no doubt that the United States Navy has a technological advantage (laughs) in many ways on the Russian Navy. Um, But nonetheless, as I think many of you know the game that is always played is, you know, technology advances, weapon systems advance, people build defenses for those, and then this cycle just keeps going on and on. Um, but nonetheless, the Ukrainians were able to, more than likely than not, sink uh, the Russian flagship very recently. And that spurred a lot of national think tanks and uh, people to start to analyze the U.S. Navy fleet. And this is where I really started getting excited, because it's something that I was very well aware of, specifically our U.S. Pacific fleet. And I just wanted to give you background real quick on kind of how the cycle goes outside of technology advances and weaponry advances and defense of said weaponry advances. And one, not one, (laughs) Many people picked up on the fact that in the Pacific, uh, the Chinese have many, many more vessels, so to speak, in their Navy. And they're growing their Navy because the Navy in the Pacific is a very important strategic asset um, for the United States or any country that can afford to have one. And we have had dominance in the Pacific since uh, World War II. And one of the things that we've struggled with, and it is a real thing, is that in Navy warfare, the ships, you could think of them like the largest machines, cities floating out there that you could imagine. And they require constant maintenance. And in the United States Navy, there's essentially a cycle, and it's about a two-year cycle where uh, the ships go out, they do their duty, um, you know, that forward deterrence, and then they come back um, to be retrofitted, upgraded, sometimes going to dry dock for repairs. And, you know, the sailors on board train, the pilots fly off at bases, you know, we're talking aircraft carriers. And so training goes on, but at the same time, you know, they're out for six months, and essentially there's an 18-month period of which some of that, a large majority, is maintenance. And so this cycle is how our United States Navy functions for readiness. And that costs money, folks. And way back in the Obama years, you will have remembered, hopefully, a term called sequestration. And it's popped up 
since then as well. And this is just when Washington can't pass a budget and they can't agree on a budget. And so what happens is, is the federal money kind of gets withheld. It's not, not there. It's going to be there, but it gets withheld and it got withheld many, many times, um, in delays to the United States military. So the forces, much like the United States Navy, that are on this normal cycle of maintenance and readiness and upgrades, gets delayed. And when that gets delayed, things start falling behind. And what happens is, is you can start to have kind of an avalanche of maintenance that's required for the ships. And they're not going to get caught up. And so our readiness dips a little bit. And this is a very dangerous thing that I think we should all be aware of that isn't just a Joe Biden thing or a Trump thing or an Obama thing. It's a cycle of the way we do things and what can be the impacts. And so this author was discussing some of the vulnerabilities of the United States Navy in the Pacific due to the issues I just described. And I lived through some of those. And it made me think. That as a sovereign country, my God, Russia probably has some pride. What if one of our aircraft carriers was sunk? And my first thought was the the horrid nature of it. And then I had some pride thinking of all the sailors from World War II where ship sinking was very common. And I thought to myself, how how did they do that? How did they live through that? How did they fight through that? Um And so there was this kind of great American pride, but at the same time, we're so far from that, that to have the potential, right, by our own doing of policies and things to essentially negate our readiness, um, that's not a good thing. And that would be extremely devastating um, to the United States military and to the United States psyche, much like I believe the sinking of the Russian flagship is to Russians. And so many people in the field, right, are really looking hard at this. And that leads me to people out there right now talking about boots on the ground in Ukraine. And I've said from the outset that we want no boots on the ground in Ukraine. I'm all for equipping as much as we can. The Ukrainians seem to be doing very well with Western nations equipping them to fight the Russians. Um, At this point, I'm not an expert, but I don't, I can't justify the difference between an attack aircraft and attack missiles that can sink Russian warships. So if it's me, we have to give them everything that is conventionally capable to fight back, that would include attack aircraft, and take the risk that the Russians may not like that, opposed to the dangerous talk, because there has been talk, as this last week, a Vermont senator, I believe, uh, talking about boots on the ground, and I noticed the president brought the Joint Chiefs in to discuss options, and I, all I can do is educate about the issues educate about different thoughts, but I am saying that boots on the ground at this period in U.S. history in Ukraine would be one of the biggest single disasters maybe in American history. Why? 
We have so much, and you've heard me say it, we have so many issues going on inside of America, social issues, economic issues, um, maybe a changing kind of world uh, view out there, both of allies and, and, and enemies, so to speak. Folks, we have to get our house in order for the betterment of Americans. So if you want to call me a Trump guy and say Americans first, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying Americans. We're Americans. We have a responsibility to take care of our people first and our group. And then if we have access to really be that power for good. And I think we're losing that and we're losing the ball on solving problems inside of America that we can, that we can. And boots on the ground to me would be a sign that we're not living in in the reality of what's going on in America, and we would set ourselves back on solving these issues many, many years, because everybody, of course, would get all concerned about it, and we would find ourselves um, making a strategic wrong decision in a time where in my lifetime, it's probably the first time we really need to start focusing on America inside. And so just be aware of that. Um, we're not as cool and unbeatable as some Americans think we are when it comes to the military. And the Russians and the sinking of this ship just showed that. And I thought maybe some of you out there might be interested in some of that commentary. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe Richard called in? Richard, welcome to Drive Time Lincoln. Thank you, Commander, and I really appreciate your analysis. I tend to agree with you 100%. Uh, We shouldn't put American troops on the ground in Ukraine. And there's another aspect of it that, that militates in that direction, and that is logistically. It would be very difficult to keep a ground force supplied there in the Ukraine because The Black Sea, even with the Russian ship sunk, is basically a Russian uh, ocean. And uh, you'd have to do it by air, and there are all sorts of problems with doing that. So um, I I agree with that. The reason I called, however, was you were talking with the candidate for county commissioner, and something that didn't get mentioned, which I think is important, is that yesterday in the news – Uh, The county engineer had to close the county road that leads to Wagon Train Lake, and that's because there's a bad bridge on that road. That bad bridge has been on the list of bridges that need to get fixed. And I would think that candidates for county commissioner who are not incumbents could very easily take the current incumbents to task for for years, failing to give our county engineer enough money to fix the bridges, and the chickens are coming home to roost. Wow, Richard, uh, gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go. Uh, what a wonderful call! Who would have thought, Richard, uh, political strategist, um, and he's, and he's, and he's spot on. As a matter of fact, uh, Richard, that slipped my mind as well. Even though. I talked to some folks yesterday about that, and it just it slipped my mind um, that a bridge went out and it had to be closed. And you're absolutely right. Um, <laughs> so if candidates are out there listening, uh, Richard just served you up a softball. 
um, because obviously on this show, and you would think for as much as I've covered that, I, I would have remembered that. I'd already put it on air. Uh, but that's why I have to rely on the people out there like you to, to remind me sometimes of what's going on in our county. But, but in fact, uh, everything Richard said uh, has happened, and it is something we've covered on this show and talked about the differences between, say, social infrastructure and real infrastructure. And Pam Dingman, the county engineer, has been absolutely uh forthright and honest and open to the issues she's faced and while her and her crew have done a phenomenal job um the takeaway should always be um that we are behind from the county commissioners down in our funding of our infrastructure and we're getting close to being behind in a a way that we can't come back and so uh, a bridge being shut down uh speaks to that um as a matter of fact uh, let's go to Travis on line one. Travis, how you doing? Hey, I'm good, Jack. How are you? I'm good. Hey, tell Richard to get on my social media. I did a video uh, on the Roca Bridge and and have made the announcement. So I'm on top of this. You know, Travis, I it may we're talking with Travis filing also running. So now we're getting callers coming in. Um, I think you're actually the one that mentioned it to me. Yeah. Yep. It's, uh, I mean, I, I've been, I've been screaming since day one that, uh, our county engineer is way underfunded and, uh, that we need to start sending them a lifeline. You know, I, I put out that report from Olson and Associates yeah. that uh, shows how short we are. Yeah. I, yeah, you know, got- I, I've talked about it so much and I don't know why people won't wake up to the fact that we need to rethink how we're, uh, allocating our monies, you know, in, in the county commission. Yeah, I agree. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a total mess. Well, hey, uh, obviously you're probably headed out to Hickman too, so uh, good luck out there. You know, I wish all you candidates good luck. Yeah, thanks. All right, take care. Wow. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up um, to go, we went national, international, um, and local. And I'm going to, I think candidates are slowing down a little bit as we get closer to the primary, so that means we get more time to investigate and do some do some thoughtful things. Um, And this has been one I've been following for a long time, but I haven't been able to really uh, penetrate to know exactly anything. So at first, what's the topic? The topic is uh, LPD lawsuits, sexual harassment, um, which then I'm going to add on and say, anytime it's getting to this level where, Oh, there's, there's several at this time. And even before I took the show, there was a couple, um, listen, that decreases morale in your force. It decreases public trust. And and we out here don't know what's going on. And so first I'm going to make a plea um, if if they can legally um, either, um, you know, the people that are filing the suits, um, their lawyers, you are welcome to come on this show anytime because uh, this has risen to a level that I think the public needs to know more about it. And uh, the most recent a female police officer filed a lawsuit, uh, Sarah Khalil. Um, you know, that story's been running, but there's many, uh, many more. I, I believe Aaron Spilker was another one. And here's the deal. I'll reach out to the union. I know the union. I will reach out to the chief and her media folks because we need to understand what's going on here because over the last two years, there has been a higher than average both sexual assault charges within the department as well as people being let go surrounding it. Now, 
I understand I worked in those fields, if you will, that, you know, there's some parts of these that are of a personal nature, personnel, as we'd say, and so we don't talk about those things. But at the same time, when you have this many lawsuits and you also are releasing officers um, under what I'm going to call kind of back and forth issues, meaning it's not a mutual agreement that, you know, I want to leave the force. It's getting to be scary to me. And remember, we want to have trust. We want to know that uh, the new chief and the force is getting better and healthier. And so, again, where can I go for that? Any of you that have had a discrepancy in a a, a case um, and you are able to be public, please come on my show, you or your lawyers. I want to hear your side. Um I will reach out um, to the two institutions that I know can can shed some light, and that's the actual department and the chief, as well as the union. And hopefully we can start to, in a way, investigate this next week, because um, these things can get very, very complicated, but they can also be very simple. And there's a few things that that disturbed me about it. When I took the show, you'll remember, and I'll constantly continue to talk about how undermanned our department is and how we haven't modernized and that for the new chief, that's what I want to know what the plan is. Okay? And and that hasn't been addressed, folks. But on top of that, we now have all these lawsuits on multiple fronts for discrimination against LPD and it's not being covered by major media and this is not only you know obviously ruining lives internally but it has to be bringing the morale and the trust down interdepartment as well as with us the public and so we've got to get talking about this and uh, so pay attention to that and if you know anybody involved out there because we're a small community let them know that I'm a champion for letting them come on and let's hear the story and and let's go from there, folks. 1,499.3-KLIN. Get today's top news. Cooler air is returning. Details of my 10-day outlook tonight on Channel 8 News at 10. I'm Storm Alert Team Chief Meteorologist John DeSauer. You're getting the 411 from DTL with Commander Jack Riggins on 1,499.3-KLIN. All right, 30 seconds. Uh, interesting enough, it's like we had a whole uh, county commissioner uh, day today with uh, Matt Schulte on and then Travis Filing calling in, uh, understanding a couple, well, one bridge is out in the county. But anyway, talked about the Russian warship and some of the vulnerabilities of the United States.